This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork Devonshire Square. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and today's show is a chat about the news, some of the weirdest insurance claims of 2018, and some 2019 predictions. I'm joined today by David Breer. I was going to say fresh from the 11FS Christmas party, but also fresh from uh, from the loss of your magnificent beard. I'm definitely not fresh from the party, and but I'm very freshly shaven, like, which say- is the weirdest thing I think I've ever said on the podcast, I have to say. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how are you doing like today, David? But you could have answered that question. Uh, yeah, um, it, well, it's, been a, it's been a weird and wonderful one. Should we? Should, do you make, want to feel a bit better? Yeah? Should we pull a cracker? Go on then, let's, let's do this. Oh, oh. oh, you won it. I won. What did you get? All right. Well, this is actually, I should point out to listeners, our crackers are part of a game. So everybody gets the same toy. Ooh. And then at the end, we get to play a racing sleigh game. Sounds good. Um, thank there, you, Liz. Is there a hat? I've got a hat. And I've got a joke. Nice. So do you want to do you want to talk about your week whilst I sort my hat out? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's been a funny old week to be honest with you. Like we've been super, super busy with everything that we've been doing, and actually, like today is probably the most random one. So, uh, if anybody knows me from Eleven FS, you'll know that uh, I'm known for probably one thing, which was quite a majestic beard. Sarah, that looks wonderful. That hat on you. Um, and actually, what I did was have that shaven off for charity today. So we raised um, about five thousand two hundred, five thousand three hundred pounds basically to go clean shaven for cancer research which is awesome so uh, if you want to uh, be able to donate please sort of check out the link in the show notes and uh, every little helps perfect um nigel walsh is also in the building how are you today nigel i'd like to say very well but i'm a little bit hoarse oh I thought I thought it was going to be a Christmas joke. Then. I was going to say <laughs> you are a little bit hoarse. I, I am i am fantastic as always but i think it's that time of year when you are uh maybe out a little bit too much and yeah. and more often than not talking too much but that's no different than normal well let's let's see what you've got in your cracker are you ready are, are you ready? ready one two three oh you win. i got you this win. one this time all right um you have to put the hat on that's the deal all right do uh, do you want, do you want to do a joke or should we it just... It will keep him warm at least because he's looking very, very fresh. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's just, you know, tired from Christmas party or actually he's looking bemused that he's actually got nothing to stroke. I've got more hair than David Brea for the first time ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are also joined by a man who's looking at us very bemusedly, one of our regulars, Oliver Ralph. How are you today, Oliver? I'm very well, thank who's you. He's a lovely head of hair. <laughs> just about. Things were all slightly Still. bad. Would you like to pull a cracker? I'd love to pull a cracker. Okay. Okay, oh, I want that one. I'll give it to you. These are rigged so for the first Come on, Oliver, let's do really are. I've got a sleigh as well. I hope it's properly insured. <laughs> you broke your hat. Is there an insure tech for sleighs? <laughs> you one last cracker. Come on. Right, here we okay. go. Hey. Hey. You did win. Gentlemen, I want to see hats. I've never shy on hats. Whilst you put your hats on, I'm going to uh, introduce the rest of the show. Are they not 11FS branded? I know, we need to step our game up for next year, don't we? I mean, really? honestly, David, there's not enough branding going on for you guys. We don't do enough swag, Sarah, do we? No, no, absolutely not. We could do... Yeah, we Tissue could... paper hats is just out of the league, right? It is. Anyway, uh, now we've got that out of the way, welcome to the show. Um, our first news story today is that Slice Insurance Cloud Services is now available in the UK and the EU. So US InsureTech Slice offers on-demand rideshare and homeshare insurance, and as we just said, maybe they should offer sleigh share insurance, um, along with an on-demand insurance cloud platform called Insurance Cloud Services, or ICS. So ICS has been available in the US and Canada since January of this year. Four global insurers are already using it to experiment with, test and deploy their own on-demand insurance products, both in the home share and, in fact, in the cyber insurance space. Um, so the idea of ICS is that insurers can launch on-demand insurance products customised to their locale, in their own language, to their demographics, but much, much quicker and easier. Uh, launched in the UK and the EU last week, and the first customer has already signed up, and that's legal in general. Thoughts, gentlemen? I think this is awesome. You know, like in uh, laterally we in banking, we've seen bank as a service, you know, really sort of take off. So being in a situation where actually we're starting to see the, you know, underpinnings from a technological perspective in the insurance market really sort of catch up with that is pretty phenomenal. So and great to see such a big company like uh, Legal and General actually taking that step and doing this. I imagine 
there's a lot of people quite nervous inside legal general about what this sort of really means uh, in terms of is this like a first step of more and more of the technological side of the operation actually being outside of the business but no I think it's a fantastic move from uh, from these guys and great to see a big company step in you can look at it in two ways right it, and Tim obviously talked about it uh, on the last show episode 29 for anybody who wants to go back and, and listen to the CEO of Slice Tim Mattia. And that debate with Arsenal and himself was fantastic and I had loads of really positive feedback actually after that session but looking at it in two ways way one says are we as a platform able to secure enough business for ourselves as an individual insure tech or do we need to change the game entirely and I, and I actually really like what they've done by opening up their platform for others to use and uh, they fall into I think my second category of three categories that I use to describe insurance platforms more often than not I think Lemonade are doing the same with the API story so um, I still believe most insure techs are solving the core insurance system challenge and ultimately if they open up their platforms and it's easier to do business with then more and more people will flock to them no pun intended yeah. for flock. I, I mean, oh, sorry, you, you go first, Oliver. Uh, I'm slightly sceptical of this. I just think, is, is this idea that you can set up on platform and anyone from any country can come and use it and set up an insurance product, that's very nice in theory. But one of the big barriers to doing insurance in all kinds of places is that it's different in every country. The rules are different. The, the, the regulations are different. The way people like to buy insurance is different. Customs are different. I think that is the, the biggest barrier rather than the technology. But that's where Slice is different. So Slice are regulated in multiple states in North America already. They've already launched cyber products in, uh, with XL, sorry, AXA XL now in North America. So category one for platforms for me is in standards, Socrotras, velocities, that they just do what the old platforms did better. Platform type two is actually we've got a platform and regulation so we can actually write insurance for people. So that's what's interesting to me as well is that, that when we, I didn't know much about this, but um, they actually, Slice actually launched their sort of direct to customer, or I wouldn't say direct to consumer, but direct to customer products just a week before they launched the ICS. So they are licensed to underwrite insurance in the in the UK. Um and they do what was fascinating to me was that it's not just one or the other they've got levels so they do different types of partnerships so in some circumstances um, they are they are you know doing some of the they're taking the risk um, you know and sometimes sometimes they're just a tech supplier and I quite like that that optionality sort of, yeah, or yeah being awareness of it that said optionality or uncertainty over exactly what the business model is possibly both but I don't necessarily know that it's a bad thing that there's uncertainty over what the business model is for now because he I mean they wouldn't be the first company to have that and they wouldn't be the first company to make a number of bets find one that really works and just drop everything else by the way but this is this is this is insurtech fintech all over where we go all we're doing is outsourcing our R&D because we can't do it properly internally so is there any harm in LNG or whoever else going let's try a different platform outside for a small part of the business we're not saying let's move our entire 300 million pounds of GWP onto that book or onto that platform straight away are they they're not doing a a course in transformation yeah I think I think the thing on that like you say it's not necessarily about the product that they're offering it's the fact that they can probably do it at 10% of the operating cost than they can do internally for the from their systems perspective. So I think, you know, very. Uh, the thing I'm surprised about this is that legal in general are the first people who are doing it. Mm. Like I would have expected in, in this sense that actually insurance products of this type to a, you know, a challenger bank or somebody sort of trying to get into a uh, monetizing a, a, a community that they've kind of created would have made like real sense. And that would have then sort of been the, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, lightning kind of strike for bigger companies to kind of get involved. But it's, it's the last but piece. It's, well, it, uh, for, don't forget for legal in general, this isn't their core business. It's a life insurance company. This is a, this is a side issue. Is and if you believe hedging? recent reports, it's a side issue they're about to sell. So it's not really their core thing. That's true. The last thing here is the most important for me, and I know you guys talk about Big Four and give us a hard time all the time in a nice sort of way. Maybe not so nice sometimes. Um, <laughs> We're always very friendly. Always, Nigel. always friendly. Um, but actually, it's the, the last point you've raised here around um, taking their partners into hackathons to encourage them to think differently. People go to consulting firms, challenger consultancies, external people for a different mindset, a different approach and an intervention. And this for me is nothing more than an intervention to prove that you can test something outside. And if it goes wrong, at least we've tried as opposed to not trying at all or going through an internal process that takes too long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I do see Oliver's points that it, you know, it is not necessarily, it's not one size fits all. And they come in there and say, the interesting thing to me, I suppose you pull apart is that um, 
And your text come in there and say, one size fits all doesn't work for anybody anymore. We've got to do more customization, more personalization. And then somebody like Slice comes along and goes, here's a platform that is one size fits all. Uh, so I think that there has to be a balance struck there. Obviously, it depends what services they're providing. But I, I like the idea of it, if that yeah. makes sense. Mm. I it, want it, this to work. Step, yeah. step back a bit. What, what business problem are we fixing? We're fixing product speed to market. And that's the number one challenge insurers come to us day in, day out with going, we can't wait 12 months to launch something. Can we launch something in? six weeks or 12 weeks does it have to be fully integrated hell no mm. just get something out there and test it if it doesn't work you know what we could just shut it down and I, I, I actually think to your point though Nigel I think what they're fixing here is probably cultural inertia in these big organisations to actually stop them doing things so doing it outside you know what we've done with uh, NatWest with building out uh, an SME bank with Metal is as much about cultural transformation as it as is technological so you know that that I think is the major driver here because it's easy to do it with an external than it is to do it internally it's also it's also a new demographic as well if you look at it so legal in general and, and i appreciate that you're saying that um, that home insurance is a, is a sideline for legal in general but it's an on-demand pay, pay-per-use home share cover um which is presumably not a product that they have ca- covered in that shape or sense before I so it, thought so, no. yeah so it's, it's an awareness that there are the way that the, the the world if you like is moving means and we've talked about this many times on the show gig economy and everything yeah, else, right? there are new types of insurance so at least there's awareness as well that they need to try and find products um, and to solve those customer problems. And quickly to go, Does this actually is, is this a segment we should go after? Is it profitable? And can we get there to a point that matters to clients? So if you if they went through, if most traditional insurers or banks went through that process themselves, it would take them too long and cost too much. So it's a really nice way of going, let's test it. Yeah. And, 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 and actually, the next story is um, is a, a different set of uh, partners, but, it's, but a similar concept. So the story actually comes from The Verdict. And it's that JLT Re um, has partnered InsureTech Pact, that sounds like some kind of convoluted, like a, a partner with a pact. Yeah, they've uh, made a pact to uh, do a thing. Um, this, is, this is done deliberately because we've got wine on the table, isn't it? <laughs> to develop digital solutions for the mobility sector. So JLT Re has signed a partnership with Pact Insurance to offer products to the emerging, emerging, see, emerging digital auto insurance market in North America. So um, the agreement means that the partners will collaborate to develop a digital insurance platform, again, to cover both established as well as emerging mobility risks. Um, Pact Insurance already provides low-cost on-demand auto insurance in Ohio. Um, it's one of those uh, services you buy completely, buy and manage completely through your smartphone. Um, JLT's reason for choosing Pact was summarised by um, a JLT Re EVP, that's too many letters, Greg Holtmeyer. Um, and interestingly, he said PACT has a level of data and underwriting granularity that is rare amongst new entrants. PACT takes data to another level and its plans to distribute to niches of underserved risks. And I don't normally read the quotes out, but I found there were some really interesting things to, to pull apart there in the language he was using. Um, I don't know if anybody else wants to, to jump in on that. What, what strikes me first with this is that it's JLT Re that's doing it. And I, I wonder why. I wonder if Nigel has thoughts on why JLT Re will be getting involved with this. Well, it, it's really, uh, you interviewed Andrew Rear from Unicree Digital yep. Partners a while back. It's the reinsurers, how do we leverage our capital time and time again? And it's been talked about for three or four years right now to go, how do we disintermediate completely the primary carrier? And they're enabling these startups slowly, because ultimately the startup's challenge is getting to distribution, not getting to capital or money or whatever else. If these guys have got better data and they can write it directly, why do they need a primary carrier? Yeah. And I think the reinsurer is starting to deploy capital, almost hedging their bets. Of, you know, yeah, it looks a lot like that, way. doesn't it? And, and, really and does. I, think, I think actually maybe JLT Re have been more um, more more active than, than I've seen, but um, in any in any. In any case, I think they sort of almost are slightly slower off the mark. If you look at Munich Re and Swiss Re and how far ahead, and even Hanover Re are already in this game. They've already gone and found some exciting partners. Um, she pointed out that Munich Re are now my, my next door neighbours. Like literally, I walk past their office every time I come in and out of the office and I just sort of wave at them. Um, it's insurance's desire to take over the world. We, we are going it's to own coming. It. It's coming. Um, it's interesting because we obviously we had people from GLT's uh, UK business yep. on, on the show last week. Um, but yeah, the one the one that I wanted to pick up on was the niches of underserved risks, and I just like oh, that, that's quite exciting. Like if you pick it apart, 
again, that's that you know moving away from one size fits all products. Um, but auto is quite a mature insurance market in and of itself. But there are, as we're saying, these there niches. Are, there that are, are niches emerging. within that. For the, the the classic one, I guess, is younger drivers who always pay a fortune because they are higher risks. But but if you you speak to insurers here and they say, well, we focus on only on younger drivers, and so we're much better at knowing which younger drivers are lower risk. We don't just put them onto a bucket mm-hmm. of the under twenty fours. And I'm sure there's many other niches in 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 auto people with disabilities or whatever it might be. So what I was thinking as well is that when we talk about mobility and in mobility in inverted commas, I was like, oh maybe insurance for people who ride those crazy electric scooters on London roads it's without helmets. It's here, it's yeah. here now. It's yeah. ge- so the future of mobility is a broader question than the future of insurance generally because you go from the minute you step out of your house to the walk to the station to the train ride to the scooter ride to the taxi to the end point and it's actually ensuring the end-to-end journey. Um, the bit that stood out for me here was you mentioned platform and you mentioned emerging market or emerging economy. So for me, that's around back to on demand, which keeps coming up again and again and again. But equally, this is about growth as opposed to taking it. This isn't digitizing what we do today. This is actually how do we take something that's unique to the data that we've got and go after a market that's not served today. So if you look at the number of people that are underinsured, it's absolutely massive. How do we capture some of that bit by bit? Again, I guess that's that's a great way, though, of justifying doing something different, isn't it? You know, a lot of these, I, I'm uh, having faced into this client side, uh, a big insurance company, actually getting permission to actually go do the thing is usually the challenge. So picking something that's non-competitive, picking something that's very different to the things that you already do in this space actually gives you, very much gives you the permission to go and do it dramatically differently. So um, it's, again, it's, I think we we always kind of look at what they've done, but like, I think the why is like much more important in terms of why did they start here? I think I talked about it on the last show, innovation versus disruption, right? We are literally innovating here. We're doing what we do today slightly better, a bit more efficient using a digital smartphone or digital platform and smartphone with better data. We are not making the whole process obsolete. Mm. And the disruption piece would be, don't worry about getting insurance. It's going to be built into the rental service that you buy for the car. Yeah. That will be taking yeah. the whole thing out. Well, the, the interesting thing as well, when you, when you look at kind of the new types of mobility, so if we're talking particularly about those um, electric scooters or, you know, some of the, some pe- the people who, who, like, I don't know, uh, use the um, a skateboard along the, the cycle lane, right? Mm. They haven't even thought about the idea of insurance. I mean, for a start, those electric scooters are illegal in the UK, but that's a whole other conversation. They're on trial at the Olympic Park right now. Yeah, but not on well, the road. Electric bikes. Yeah. I was in Germany recently, a lot of electric bikes uh, everywhere. You, you, I bet people haven't even thought about the idea of insurance, but say, yeah. um, I was reading a really interesting story about a cyclist who hit somebody and was then sued because he didn't have any insurance, because why would he have any insurance? He was a cyclist. In the UK, or? Uh, I think it was in the US. Right. Yeah. But but the point being that um, if you just take mobility as a group, there are new things, but there's also a lack of awareness which fits into that insurance gap. And I mean, I would say if you're a cyclist in central London, you probably do need an insurance policy. Um, yeah, I would agree agree with you yeah. medical care and, and uh, some sort of insurance well, as well, and, right? and you're at higher risk because the chances of you coming into work mangled is quite high right mm. oh, I or hit or whatever else. So employment insurance as well changes if you've got a, a group of employees the, who are cycling you mean? if you look at the research what we do we actually look at the overall size of the pie for motor insurance is going to decline so yes it's going to change business type from personal to commercial all those conversations but net net the size of the market's going to shrink as a result of safer cars autonomous driving all that sort of stuff that's going to hit us now not in 10 years time is that even taking into account that cars are more expensive to repair Totally. I hear a lot from uh, yeah, yeah. insurance bumpers now full of electronics cost a fortune. Yes. If you can't just change the panel anymore, you've got to rewire yeah. it. And, yeah. yeah, the cost of parts has gone through offset. the roof. Yeah, uh, but equally, because of the parts that are there, the people start then talking about 3D printed parts or parts on demand. No longer do you have to store a 1976 Vauxhall Astra on a shelf so in case someone crashes. Yep. It can just be reprinted straight away. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that both those stories are about, um, about new markets and about new types of insurance. The next story I picked purely because I, literally purely because I love the name of this company, but I think it's an interesting proposition as well. Um, This is a story from TechCrunch, and it's that Waggle launches fully digital pet insurance, and that just makes me smile. I I know it makes producer Laura smile as well. Um, So the InsureTech launched in the UK earlier this month and aims to offer more transparent pet insurance. So the aim is for customers to know exactly how much they're paying for what provision, as well as getting rewards for improving the care of the animal, which is a really interesting bit. Um, the founders say the biggest problem in pet insurance is the lack of value that customers get with a policy. You pay a monthly fee and you get nothing in return except maybe a promise to pay out a claim in the future. On top of this, pet insurance has become extremely complicated for users with confusing policy names and jargon-rich wording, which I would argue is actually true of all insurance. 
Um, but the and 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 Waggle is um, sort of I wouldn't say fairly standard, but a very um, very similar proposition to some other insure tech. So it's kind of thirty seconds on your phone. You know exactly what you're getting money for your money, and you can make your claim in real time. Um, the interesting sort of side piece, if you like, is that Waggle offers a rewards program. That makes it easier and more affordable for customers to take preventative care of their pet through feeding them higher quality nutrition. This comes in the form of discounts with our hand-picked quality pet food partners. Mm. Um, pull so, that one apart. <laughs> so they're probably making revenue on some sort of affiliate deal with fancy pet food that's really expensive. Quite possibly. Yeah. The, the, it's the, it's the, the kind of payer to partner thing that a lot of insurers talk about co-op has done something very similar they have a partnership with a company called pet pat i think it's called and that's this is like fitbits for dogs you stick the the thing on your dog's leg and the more your dog runs around the park the less the uh, pet insurance costs that, that i'm was beaming the, at the thought of yeah, this that was the perfect pitch like yeah. elevate pit. it's like fitbit for dogs so we're like just throwing money at you <laughs> yeah. at that point, so. it really is <laughs> i mean the, the interesting thing about pet insurance we've, we have done a couple of um a couple of shows on it and uh, oki from book by many who, who specialize in pet insurance he comes on quite a lot um i mean pet insurance is typically quite high loss ratio so it's it's quite hard Hugely to make fraudulent. money what do, you, it, what, do you mean like people might put their Fitbit for dogs on a fan and just let it whiz round and round or something? <laughs> or people claim their dog's got a broken leg when they haven't. Well, it, well, it's, it's more about the what you do in the vet process as well. Because that's because it's... So, so there's loads of parts of the story which is really interesting and loads of parts that are just completely... Right, so Waggle Pets, I actually thought when I saw the story was RSA because in 2016, RSA came out with a pet product which was telematics for pets. So RSA is a legacy provider of insurance, yeah? 100% with a big pet book, as are many of the carriers, so Allianz with Pet Plan and whoever else. We in Britain love our pets and we spend a fortune on them with pet insurance. And as More was, than house insurance for a lot of people. It's crazy. Wow. Sarah's face is... Pr- if you can see Sarah's face <laughs> right this minute... Think about how much my content insurance yes. is and thinking, bloody hell, what kind of animal do I need to have? I spoke to somebody who spends £75 a month on pet insurance and the same again on medication on top of that. Wow. On their pet. <laughs> I won't, I won't tell this. Well, I will tell the story that there's somebody in our office who I was telling to get pet insurance for their cat for ages. And then unfortunately, his cat was diagnosed with, with something um, really, really quite unpleasant and quite life threatening. But then he was like, I should have taken advice to get pet insurance. I said, see? So see? Friends, of mine, friends of mine have uh, St. Bernard's. They, oh, wow. Three of them. Surely by the size wow. of them. They are, yes. yes. <laughs> the, uh, Edward is 16 stone. Edward is the dog. Edward's the dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. Yeah. Very good point. Edward is the dog, uh, one of the dogs, 16 stone. St. Bernard's traditionally have issues with their back legs. They didn't get insurance. And they've both had operations on their back legs, the dogs, that is. Yep. £5,000 a corner. God. You now understand very quickly why you want insurance for your pet. You've got to love yeah. that dog, haven't you? It's you really sixteen do. stone a slobber. But I think, but I think, I mean, if you're if if Jake was unwell and the option was to spend five thousand pounds or look at your kids' faces, David, you'd probably spend the money on the dog, right? I don't know. My kids are pretty cutthroat, to be honest. You like, <laughs> if it takes a, like an Xbox or something away from them, the like the dog's got to go. I'm afraid. Wow. So that was, so, that, was that was did not go unexpected. the way I that was going to yeah, go. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to the Brer household for Christmas. You might just get just cut. Um, but the, so, so the interesting that what they're up to is it anything more, anything different than what Bought by Many or any of the other providers are doing today? In reality, other people out there, there's, there was a startup founded by a bunch of vets that actually did suffer with. Uh, you go to the vet. How often has Jake drunk today? You've got no idea, have you? No idea. But what they have done is they created sensors in the bowls and in the collar or in the chip to mm. work out how long Jake would spend at the bowl to say whether he was eating or drinking. Yeah. Because then you can answer those questions properly to then do the right diagnosis mm. going forward. Has he got a liver issue or a kidney issue or something else? Yeah. And that's where you try Internet and... Internet of things for dog bowls. It exists. Really? It... It's, an, really? it's another business idea. <laughs> yeah. Fitbit for dogs. Like <laughs> tele- Telematics oh, no longer just word. for cars. I'm t- I take it you don't have a pet. <laughs> we have some fish. Okay. We don't insure the fish. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they drowned because the IoT device was too heavy. That's exactly right, yes. <laughs> the the pit didn't work. Just <laughs> Actually, when Oki was on, he did say we don't insure fish, didn't he? I can't remember. He may have said that. I think because he said, because goldfish, obviously, you know, whatever. But tropical fish can yeah. be quite expensive. Exactly. And mm. like koi carp and stuff. Those guys are like oh, yeah. thousands and thousands of pounds. And how do you so. treat them? I feel like <laughs> gently. Oh, yes. yeah, that's. I was going to say something appropriate. I would yeah. stop. <laughs> 
um, I think I think it's interesting that we are still seeing innovation in pet insurance is, is to, to a sensible point given that the market is quite saturated there's quite a lot out there it's not a particular type of insurance which is guaranteed to make you lots and lots of money so I think it's in- but it's well, a growing market. Happened. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for people to do it differently. It, it yeah. doesn't feel like it's the old Amazon saying, you know, your 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 margin is my opportunity, whatever else. I think this is a saturated market. I think it's going to be tough. If I'm being really honest, it's interesting and it's exciting. And I've got a cat and she's got insurance, or whatever else. But really, discounts and handpicked quality pet food or whatever else, it comes in the Tesco's order once a week or whatever else. It's, it's almost too easy. Yeah. When you walk into Pet Plan or wherever the shop is on the, on the high street, you join the pet club, you get all the discounts as well. So it's, it, that, that for me is more interesting, oddly enough, because all the rewards around the ecosystem is where you see the value, not the actual insurance. I, yeah. I, I, do, I do think on this, though, again, it, it's a, not necessarily the stuff that you see from a customer experience perspective. It's whether that actually they can do, whether end-to-end they can create and uh, have the entirety of the operation run at a fraction of the cost in terms of what they're doing. Because if you can change the operating cost of a you know huge organization to do it and they can partner correctly to get the distribution right, then it sort of changes the model in that way, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'm just looking at the website as well, and it's it's not just um, pet food. There's all sorts of different partnerships they have, presumably all, again, kind of an, an affiliate model. But um, they also give back to charity. So it's kind of taking from that, I think it's for insurance model, is it? Well, donate a, por- a portion Let of the unclaimed the same, premiums you know. back to charity of your choice. Um, it also covers dental, which apparently most pet insurance policies don't cover. Have you ever uh, tried to brush the, a dog's the, teeth? The pet's dental on your own. Well, oh, I, yeah. I have tried to brush a dog's teeth and I nearly lost a hand. So, um, <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that the, the ecosystem thing as well is that kind of like buying in for loyalty of one, once I'm a waggle member, the more money I spend, the more, you know, people spend all that money on bark boxes, which are these monthly yeah, subscription yeah. boxes for your dog. I can see that being a total, a total reason to, to jump in there. I like it. The digitization of it is interesting, but the same, for being honest with me too, I like the rewards part. I think it's going to be a tough market. If I was going into pet personally, I'd probably go after digitizing the broken processes between carrier, customer, vet, and everyone else in the middle. Actually, Which yeah. is really traditional, right? It's really basic. Well, it's like the idea of um, why if I'm a human and I can get my prescription sent straight to my um, chemist and it's there for me to arrive when I come back, also get it straight sent straight to Tesco so when I go to my duration my prescription is there why can't it be the same for uh, blood tests for dogs exactly. or prescriptions for dogs I, I think if I was going to go into pet I'd do super niche I'd do like koi carp like you know something that was like that's what I was going to say yeah, like I'd go I'd, I'd, go, I'd go like high end people who know what they're looking after and would look after them well but if it went wrong it would be a lot because you almost got like it's like giving health insurance to really healthy people. That seems but like also, probably, it's probably a good option. But also, probably easy to underwrite. One of the reasons maybe they have a lot of underwriting losses or don't make a lot of profits is that one insurer is trying to cover three hundred and fifty different types of animal and yeah. ten breeds of each animal. And how much so really different. do you know about the, the illnesses? Compare that to to human health insurance, where it's just one species you're trying to guess. If, as you say, you focus on one particular thing, at least you've got a better you, idea. You're of both what talking about different things, though. So, in, in your example, actually. Um, if you've got a very expensive koi carp and that's what, exactly what you do, you're more likely to self-insure more than anything else. Look at people who've got fancy car connections or whatever else. They're actually going, I don't need insurance because if, if it all goes, I'll just buy another one, right? So it's, you're probably in self-insurance territory in that space. In, in, your, in your example, I'd probably go slightly differently. Um, complete mind blank. Was it, isn't that what, isn't what <laughs> I was talking about more what kind of bought by many are doing where yeah. they have yeah. that specialised yeah. so we, Labradors have bad hips yeah. Dachshunds have bad backs yes uh, so yeah. 340 groups in bought by many Black Labradors versus Golden Retrievers versus Alsatians, etc. That's how they underwrite today. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. That was Stephen's it, model. It's fascinating that you do get into those niches, though, isn't it? And actually, when they start having that data really accessible, and actually they can start using it for yeah. underwriting purposes, that's just amazing, isn't it? You know, I do think demographically, though, it's it's a, a, a very promising market. You think about, you read a lot about the growth of loneliness, people living on their own, they they want a pet. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that pet isn't an animal, isn't just a pet. It's, it is their, their other companion. half, their companion, whatever it is, they're going to want to ensure that. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, on top of that is the growth of, or the growing understanding and then the following growth of um, animals to help with medical conditions. Or so not, dogs not or just sight dogs, but anxiety dogs, cancer dogs, um, epilepsy dogs. I mean, those those are literally life-saving they're, companions. They're amazing, though, aren't they? Would you see, or even when you see dogs being taken to old people's homes, whatever else, to, for companionship, I think it's amazing what they do. Truly amazing. 
So I'm going to move on from from that serious point to um, which is possibly my favourite story from this week, which is the weirdest travel insurance claims of 2018. Um, so this list came from Covermore, which is an insurance company that's headquartered in Australia, but they work all over the world. So the, the sensible point is that according to 2018 data, being denied from boarding a flight was the fastest growing reason for an insurance claim, with instances rising a whopping 350% on the previous year. Um, That's not even a weird one, but I will come back to that because why are you ever denied to be boarding a plane unless you're, I don't know, drunk? Drunk. Yeah. Or very drunk. Or very drunk. Um, So I I did have it this year, was not drunk, (laughs) overbooking. Like every Uh, flight is overbooked. Yeah, true. And actually, so I was in a, uh, trying to get back from Seville and actually the entirety of the flight was overbooked. Um, So it was very annoying that uh, you were basically taken off it and insurance does pay out on that point. All right, that's more sensible than I thought. I was drunk too, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, New types of claims in 2018 that didn't exist in 2017 included cabin confinement, when cruise passengers were forced to stay in their cabin due to illness um, and missed ports on cruise journeys. And I think that comes off the back of those two. I don't know if anybody else saw the stories about those two cruise ships that were hit with, I think, like norovirus and like oh, everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody on the ship. Oh, it sounds like hell on earth. Can you imagine that? That I must just be. Don't want to. Oh, the shuffleboard would have been very easy to get. Too, <laughs> like uh, suddenly, you can do anything. Um, so, so moving on to among the more unusual claims. So there was a traveller whose luggage was delayed by an airline, but who only claimed for the cost of their razor as they were heading to a nudist camp and hadn't packed any clothes. <laughs> Why would you claim for the cost of a razor? I don't know how expensive Why? the razor was. Why? Like, Why? What is this? <laughs> I, 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 have, I, have I literally speechless. Um, a holidaymaker in New York City who was attacked by a squirrel they were trying to photograph idiot and was left with a nasty bite that came with a three thousand dollar medical bill wow right? anybody who tries to get that close to a squirrel just deserves everything yep. they get as this is a darwin award not a claim right <laughs> yeah. um and then the final one is another one about cyclists but this is this is quite a long story but it's quite funny an overseas traveler that didn't check both ways before crossing the street and hit a cyclist with their suitcase um, which knocked them both to the ground the injured cyclist went to the police and because the traveler had already dashed to the airport to catch their flight they hired a lawyer to handle the police inquiries the traveler ended up having to pay $3,250 to the victim to the cyclist as well as the cost of their lawyer god that's insane (laughs) do do you think there's an element here of actually we're just going to chance our arm and try and claim for everything but following the, but, the US model almost. But that, but then also the opposite to that is all of us point. Why would you claim for the razor? Yeah, gold plated. I, I think. Could I think. Be. I think there's definitely a, a consistency that these are all in dollars. It, well, this is it was an Australian company, so I don't know if they're Australian. I'm just dollars. interested. What 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 strikes me is that this this person, this cyclist, was dashing to the airport to catch the flight, and so hired a lawyer to handle the police inquiries. Can you hire a lawyer as you're dashing to the airport? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, no win, no fee. You know, yeah. Maybe I don't know. I, I, there's, there's others that I didn't. Hey Google, can you get me a quick lawyer? Yeah. I mean. Well, that's definitely a thing. Certainly, yes. if you're in America. Um, the, the a really weird one. A husband and wife in Samoa made a claim after a hairy incident involving a turtle. So the wife was feeding the turtle when it bit her hand and pulled her into the water. And her husband, in an attempt to rescue her, also fell into the water. The couple claimed for their smartphones and a pair of sunglasses. Wow. Like, how do you write that claim? Like, why would you just say we both fell in a pool? Yeah, that, like, why would yes. you say the that, turtle? Uh, yeah. that does sound like the most elaborate lie ever, doesn't it? Like, well, like no, they just got carried away. It's reverse psychology. It is so elaborate that it's got to be true. You would never yeah. know. You, yeah, you would ne- why would yeah. you make that up? Did they it's also sue the, the turtle? Because I don't know. It doesn't say. The turtles had its own lawyer. Fire <laughs> <laughs> Amazon. Fire Alexa. Fire um, there's, some, there's some really nasty ones as well. So a traveller who was struck with a blister after exploring a city by foot, but the blister became infected. The man was left with a limp and the medical bill in excess of $20,000. Wow. Ouch. Wow. That's got to have been in America, right? The traveller in the US who contracted a urinary tract infection, which ended up costing $5,000. Wow. Some of these claims, I mean... You can can Google it, and honestly, it is just hilarity. A 130,000 claim for a report of a cow in a swimming pool... Well, you hire my, own, my own swimming a cow pool. cow in a swimming pool. Yeah, if you hire an Airbnb, there's a thing on Somerset Live about a claim that was made for 130000 for a cow in a swimming pool. Wow. But who was claiming? The farmer for the loss of the cow? Or I think the, the actual people. Well, uh, they didn't want the cow in the pool. <laughs> did they specify when they hired the Airbnb <laughs> That's true. that they did yeah. not want a cow I would have got in and in said, move over. Oh, <laughs> man. We haven't even got to the cracker jokes. <laughs> um, okay. 
So I think I think that the point being that 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 whilst that is that is quite silly, um, it a <laughs> proves the point you should have travel insurance, and b that there are ever more types of insurance left to explore. Um, before we move on to predictions, does anybody want to read out their cracker joke? Oh, then oh, they're not great. To. So hey, it's the first one. So what did the baby corn say to the mummy corn? Where's popcorn? Oh, I, I was going to. My wah, brain went down wah, the unicorn wah. route. The other one is so bad. I'm not going to even attempt it. In the uh, spirit of swimming pools, where do ghosts go swimming? Don't know. Don't know. Looking at producer, producer Laura and, and Alex. No. The Dead Sea. Oh, oh, very good. What is a vampire's favourite fruit? Don't know. Blood orange. Oh. Well, we could have got there in the end, but it probably would, it, it was <laughs> taking me way while, too long. Yes. Um, and I've got, what do dogs and trees have in common? Bark. Ah. Uh, producer Laura got that one, people who can't hear. <laughs> They're really corny, aren't they? They are, they are. But Barely even jokes, to be honest. It's stretching the definition. <laughs> it's quite I mean, that last one was a quiz question, yeah. really. <laughs> it's more a riddle. Yes. <laughs> My wife pulled out crackers that we had for like three years ago. You know, you always end up like three crackers left over after Christmas dinner. We had crackers last weekend and... Uh, I think it was a mix of crackers from over throughout the years and there was two of the same jokes. Like, really? Oh. Two years apart, three years apart? This is just poor show. Were they, were they topical? Was it about how wonderful Europe was and all that type of <laughs> stuff? I should, have, I, should, I should have got some insurance jokes. I, did, I didn't get that far in advance. Okay, ne- next year next I'll have year. a think about some insurance jokes. In fact, start submitting them now because I think it'll take me 12 months to get a decent collection. Well, I, well, I had one the other day from a, from a friend of mine about... Uh, in fact, when it was a JLT guy's role, he wrote to me, he's a JLT guy, he said, uh, ask him about floss of cover. Floss of cover? Dentist joke. Uh, I'm moving us on yeah. now. Um, so please that do. wraps up please. the news section. And I'm please, please keep listening. I apologise to our listeners for those terrible jokes. Um, so our predictions for 2019, who, who wants to go first? Insurance-related I predictions, I mean, you know. I think in terms of technology, I think maybe it's the year when things start to get um, very tough for a lot of the startups. I think the funding environment's going to get very difficult. We're seeing um, markets already falling, interest rates are rising. I think funding's going to get tougher. The, the sort of punch bowl the last few years being removed, I think it's going to be harder to raise money. And they're going to have to justify to the people who funded them last time what they've done. And so we may see a bit of a shakeout in some of the startups, I think, this year. That makes sense to me. Actually, just counter to that, the report that we did, we talked about a recent show, talked about same amount of money, lower number of startups, but more Series B and Series C. So following the pattern of the fintechs, so sort of, um, you know, big Series C, Series D, millions and millions of, of, do- of dollars and pounds. But I don't disagree with you in terms of, I think even now we're, we're struggling to find early stage capital or growth capital for some of the guys that have started and are sitting there going, where do we go? And we're definitely seeing less net new startups come into the market. Is that your prediction, Nigel, or do you have something else? No, my prediction is uh, we finally get to grips with SME. Mm, so okay. the, SME, the SME segment's been talked about for probably two years. There was a race around personal lines very early on because it was easy to go after in, uh, in tech. More and more folks are getting deep and deep involved in SME, especially as part of the personalised space starts to disappear and commercial starts to get harder. So I think it's definitely an untapped middle. Okay. I, do, I do find a lot of a lot of the big insurers are talking to me about SME. When mm. when you ask what they're doing in technology, SME frequently comes up. It's, it's another one that's that's following the trend of the the retail banking. So retail banks started thinking about SME eighteen months ago, and the insurers are sort of eighteen months behind. But it makes perfect sense. Mm. David, how about you? Um, I, th- I think we're going to see a bit of a resurgence of the sort of bank assurance model, um, but Ooh, okay. in, in more of a um, big incumbent insurers partnering with small fintech or challenger banks uh, and actually looking at that as a distribution model in terms of doing something interesting. So I think many of those partnerships will be coming through next year. Would you count Starling's partnerships with Casco and all that sort of stuff as a growth, is almost a digital bank insurance? I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say bigger because, um, you know, Starling's customer base is good, but when you start getting into the sort of Revolut and the Monzos and some of the challenge, you know, Chime in the US in terms of some of the challenge banks that are kind of growing in that space, actually when you've got that, you know, a significant of a distribution model and actually you could, the big incumbent insurers can actually start seeing distribution be to need rather than just... Um, uh, just people coming in, you know, push 
rather than pull, um, then actually I think that model really changes. So what's yours, Sarah? Uh, well, mine, I think we'd be happy with, very happy with mine, Nigel. So mine is this idea that we're going to see more what I call value-added service insurance. But I, I, I'm not saying it because Nigel told me to. I'm putting that out there now. Um, I've had some really interesting meetings over the last six weeks with some really interesting people. And I think both kind of insurers and startups getting to grips with the idea that they can't go it alone. They have to work together. And the best thing that they can do together is provide a packaged service. Mm. So whether that's um, when you buy a home and it comes with IoT devices and that's where you're in, it feeds into your insurance, whether you buy a car and it comes with you know telematics or whatever else and that feeds into your car insurance, when you buy a bicycle and it comes with not only you know insurance for the bicycle, but also you live in London and you cycle to work. So this is your insurance package. We recommend to go with it. Um, I'm with I, you. I think it's a combination of sort of maybe M&A in the, the insurtech um, insurer space where they, they get much closer, much more deeper partnerships and kind of the idea that I stop going to compare the market on moneysupermarket.com to buy my insurance mm. and my insurance just sort of arrives with mm. whatever else I'm doing. But, so, sorry, what I would like to see is, is a lot of these ideas, similar to what you were saying, but a lot of these ideas that I hear about in my professional life, I would like to see them in my own personal experience of buying insurance, which has not changed one iota over the last five or ten years. Yeah. Not a single thing. The only and I would like. I, I you hear still use aggregators all the time. Or? I still use aggregators. It's the same policies, the same people offering the same thing. No one really is offering me any different. When I've made claims, the experience has been okay. But I made a claim on home insurance a couple. Of, it was probably about eighteen months ago. Uh, I was sent a check in the post. <laughs> Ouch. I well, would like to see some of all the talk I hear at the top of the big insurance groups reflected in my own personal experience. I, I've got I two others, that. actually. I'll, I'll add to the, the if I may. You, you, more you predictions. Three predictions. This is just like edging bets here. They, you but, but, but again, insurance is just basically gambling, isn't it? That's it's true. Like, so that's we're true, just right? hedging our bets in slightly different ways. But they are all linked. So I, I do agree with you. These are all talked about, but they're talked about in silos and small places. The one I talked about online earlier was about... Um, the emergence of platforms like Flipper, I've talked about before, Labrador, Snug now. Um, and then I talked about another one, uh, Bill Shark, uh, Bill Snark, or Bill Shark from the USA. And they're aggregators of bills and services inside your bank account that help you get a better deal. And I think that market's going to converge into insurance and vice versa. And we're seeing some of that from one of the, one of the insurers at the moment. I'm not sure if it's in beta or private, but they have launched... Um, and what they're doing around that and rewards is really interesting. So I'm quite encouraged by that. And the last one is consolidation. I think we're going to see a lot of consolidation, especially in personalised next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's kind of, I think that's a prediction which is going to be um, ongoing for the next two to three years. Well, I would direct a, a RegTech podcast recently when we talked about getting to middle age spread. So the idea of where you have, you have... <laughs> Burn. David have, and I look at our bellies immediately. That was no, I was going to explain the metaphor, but you could take it that way if you like. What I mean is that you start of an industry and you've only got a few and they're really exciting and everybody's very excited about them. And then the industry fills out and fills out and fills out and fills out. And you kind of think, oh my goodness, we, we, we're, kind of, we're kind of bloated. We've got too much going on. And then you start to see this narrowing back yeah. down again. And whether that's through acquisitions or mergers and acquisitions or whatever it is, um, I, think, I think we're ready for that in InsureTech. I think you're right. Agree. Yeah, fully agree. All right, whilst everybody agrees with me, I'm going to um, wrap up the show. So let's see who turns out to be the most accurate. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you, Nigel? I am, as always, Nigel Walsh on Twitter. Oliver? Uh, you can read my articles on ft.com and I tweet at, at Oliver underscore Ralph. Perfect. And how about you, David? Uh, at David Breer on Twitter. And you can find me at Sarah Kashansky on Twitter. Next up, we have an interview with Mitch Doust, head of Americas for Cover Genius, who gave us an overview of what Cover Genius is up to, what's next for the company, and his predictions for 2019. I'm Sarah Kachansky, and this is InsureTech Insider. Um, I'm here with Mitch Doust, who is the EVP and head of Americas for Cover Genius. How are you today, Mitch? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming all this way. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, could I start by asking you to give um, me a quick overview of, of what Cover Genius does um, and what your role is there? Yeah, sure. So Cover Genius, I mean, at our core, we are uh, an API-driven distribution platform for insurance products. So we provide an end-to-end -end solution for our e-commerce partners to enable them to both create and then distribute insurance products alongside their core offerings. Um, so, I mean... We do that, that is the technology, but at our core, what we really are trying to do is create better user experiences for both our partners and their customers as it relates to getting those people protected and to protect the assets that they want to have in their day-to-day -day lives. 
So who uh, so who are your end customers as far as from from Cover Genius's point of view? Yeah, so we are a B two B to C B two B to C business. <laughs> um, so we work with uh, any e commerce provider, and we and we define that quite broadly as basically anyone that's transacting online. So we work or we build partnerships with those businesses, and then we sell insurance products to their end customers. So the customer holds a policy that is distributed via us through their through the e-commerce platform essentially and then we work with underwriters on the back end to create sort and source the uh, underwriting capacity for the products that we bring to market so could you give me an example of any of the people you're working with are there any any names we might know of your clients yeah so the, i guess the biggest client that we have now is a company called rental cars which is part of the booking holdings group um so we distribute uh, rental car insurance uh, with them in in multiple markets globally and we're continuing to work with them um, to roll out further across um, many markets. Brilliant. So, um, are you? Uh, do you operate globally as a business, or because uh, I know that um, I know that your headquarters are over in Australia, but I also know as you're head of America, you work out of New York. Um, is there anywhere else that, that you operate? Yeah. So we have licenses to operate in I think over sixty countries now. Um, part of what we've been doing, I guess, in dealing and working with a business like the Booking Holdings Group and Rental Cars, is we needed to be able to match their scale, and they've got customers that are both originating and travelling to various places globally so you know part of a lot of the work that we've been putting into building our xcover platform uh, has been enabling those the regulatory structures to to enable us to sell and to serve customers in multiple locations um, we also deal in many different currencies and uh, languages as well sounds complex <laughs> it is very complex and it took a lot of work to establish uh, that kind of platform um, but it really is kind of the foundational elements that are going to support our growth coming into the, the next few years. So what, what problems are you solving that, that sort of maybe incumbent um, either platforms or insurance underwriters haven't been able to do? Yeah, so I think it's kind of twofold. So I think firstly, you know, the, the business model for insurance, you know, historically up until this point has been kind of disconnected from the way in which customers actually live their lives. So Historically, what would happen is, you know, I might go on a holiday or I might purchase an asset. That would be a transaction. And then as a customer, I would have to go and search for an insurance solution that would match up to that thing or that experience that I was looking to to procure. And so it's our belief that that isn't how it should be. You know, insurance solutions and risk protection should actually be embedded in the services and the experiences and the products that people want in their lives. And so that's essentially the, the, the problem that we're looking to solve. We think the market opportunity for doing that um, is, is huge globally across many different industry verticals that all sit within that e-commerce um, uh, system. And so kind of that's the product or the, the distribution side problem we're solving. And the other is just the technology that enables that. I mean, think if you look at uh, the incumbent industry and the large players in that space, like they, they definitely have the want to serve these customers. I think they're constrained in a large sense by um, the complexity and, you know, the the age of the technology systems that they operate. So, A, it doesn't provide an easy way for them to embed within someone else's digital um, experience. And if you look at the cost bases that are associated with those tech stacks, it just doesn't make commercial sense for them to deal with what is an exploding and very diverse set of e-commerce businesses. So, having a low-cost, um, easy-to-implement and integrate platform via our API infrastructure means that we can deal with a whole range of different partners that for many of the big guys, it would just be too expensive for them to do that. So did you, your technology is entirely proprietary? You built your, your stack yourself? Yes, it's all, all built in-house and it continues to develop. Uh, our Xcover platform has multiple modules, modules to it, which includes Xclaim, our claims processing platform, um, which is where we've just kind of launched our um, instant payment capability across, I think, 50 plus countries and currencies. So is that sorry, instant payout or instant Instant pay payout. So whenever one of our customers submits a claim with our platform, we can initiate an, an instant payment uh, in the location that they are in so that they can get the cash um, as quickly as possible. That's actually amazing because as a customer, if I'm on holiday somewhere and I need to make a claim instantly because everything's gone, I don't want to wait till I'm back in the UK for the check to arrive that I can pay in 10 days later. Exactly. And you know, like it, it's kind of breaking the mold with regard to like batch payments that take you know, days to initiate and then days to initiate another international money transfer. Um, whereas we can now, you know, get uh, the cash into our customers' hands as quickly as possible. And that's kind of, you know, as I said, part of how we're looking to build just better customer experiences for people using the technology that we've got at our disposal. So what's next for you guys? Do you have um, is there anything you can sort of tell us where you're, where you're with the new products or new geographies? What's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah, so I guess our strategic kind of goals for the next, for the next period are really around um, building and diversifying the product set that uh, exists on the XCover platform. 
Um, so we're moving into a number of different product verticals over the next 12 months. Uh, you'll see us launching you know, e-commerce retail products, um, additional travel products, um, potentially shipping products. Uh, we've got a kind of like a roadmap of the things that we want to do. And then it's very much about taking that platform and that product set and then uh, driving that out globally. So that's kind of why we've started to build a team in the Americas to really start to to go after that region. We think there's a lot of opportunity there. And then we'll be doing the same across continental Europe and APAC as well. So no corner of the globe left untouched then? <laughs> no, yeah. You could, you could say that we're, we're running after it pretty hard, which is exciting. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a lot of work. and But we've got a great team and we've invested a lot of time and energy into building a scalable platform. And so the last period for us has about been building those foundational components. And we think we're in a position now where we can really start to scale that out. Um, and hopefully, you know, the time and effort will pay off. And uh, our next period is going to be very much about continued, uh, really robust growth. Brilliant. Well, do keep us updated with, you know, what, what you're up to. And um, we'd love to hear. Um, as we're coming up towards the end of 2018, um, I'm, I'm asking all my guests, I put them on the spot a little bit and asking them to give me their predictions for 2019 um, in the world of InsureTech. It could be something to do with yourselves. It could be something bigger. Um, it could be something, you know, completely off the ball, whatever, whatever you think is, is going to be the most interesting thing. Well, like other than our own success, um, I think you start to see a couple of things. I think that like the first phase of the insure tech boom is kind of coming towards its end in my mind. And I think that that's going to um, kind of proceed a few things. I think one, a lot of the existing players who have started to see some niche success in their initial products will start to diversify their business models. Um, that'll either mean new products um, or I think a change of tack for some of these B2C businesses where they start to think more about B2B opportunities. Um, which is all about leveraging their, their underlying technology. And then it's also geographical expansion, right? I think you can see that with, with the news that Lemonade have put out recently about how they're getting into new markets. Um, I think at a macro level, uh, looking, you know, having seen what's going on in the US at the moment, I think what we might start to see is the tightening of the funding environment, which I think is going to have a very big impact on the insured tech landscape. I think, you know, existing businesses that are looking to raise money are really going to have to start focusing on business model efficiency and making sure they've actually got that product market fit and the right unit economics. Uh, and then you'll see, you know, probably other investors starting to get a little bit more conservative about who they're backing. And, you know, that's going to mean a lot for those people that are out there trying to raise money, especially one of those ones that are looking to build really progressive technologies. Um, I hope that they will continue to get the support, but uh, I think things are going to start, that landscape is going to start tightening up, I think. Do you think, just on that uh, that last point, do you think that the, the, so the incumbent players are going to step up their, um, their investment in the startups? So we've seen a lot of the, the big insurance players, and in fact the reinsurance players, putting a lot of money into new technologies and new startups. Do you think that when you say tightening up, do you mean sort of them as well as the, the VCs and the, and the you know, private equity? Or? I think that remains to be seen. I think it's going to depend on the courage of the insurance companies, to be fair. I think if you were to take a positive view of it, you know, they don't operate with the same sort of LP structures that a lot of the, the venture capital businesses do. So in that sense, they should have flexibility to continue to support the businesses that they want to see succeed. But at the same time, if we were to get hit by a recession, it wouldn't surprise me if those kind of innovation arm venture businesses that these guys have set up also become one of the, the kind of most immediate areas of the business that starts to become under scrutiny. So in the past, we've seen those sorts of areas get um, curtailed or shut down when, when things get tight and capital becomes uh, a scarce commodity. Uh, I would hope that that doesn't happen because I think if you look at the insure tech space, it's one of those areas where there is a really large incumbent presence in the funding environment, and that's only increased over recent times. So if those guys were to start to step away, I think that would be a very bad thing for the sector. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your insight. Um, where can people find out more about you, about Cover Genius? Do you have a, a website or a Twitter handle or something you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I don't have a Twitter handle. You can go to covergenius.biz. So that's covergenius.biz. Uh, that's our website. You can find all of our social media details on there. And I encourage people to get on and follow our progress. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to my guests today. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. <laughs>